dismissed to Children's Church. Any children here, kindergarten to second grade? And would the rest of you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament. Take out a pew Bible if you don't have a Bible and you can use one of those. Romans chapter 1. As we continue a sermon series today on the topic of evangelism, how to share your faith in Jesus Christ with others. And today I want to focus on Romans chapter 1, verse 16, but let me read from verses 11 through 17 just to set the context of the passage. Romans 1, 11. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, a church he had never visited but was eager to visit, so he sent this letter ahead to sort of pave the way for his visit. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you but have been prevented from doing so until now in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he saw these two fishermen, Peter and Andrew, and he said to them, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We've been talking about this issue of evangelism, the fact that following Jesus means that we become fishers of men. Uh, If I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, in other words, try to emulate his life, well then one of the things about which Jesus was preeminently concerned was the salvation of people's souls. Jesus was a fisher of men. And so if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to be a fisher of men. God calls every Christian, that includes all of us who are Christians, every Christian to the task of evangelism. Every believer is called to the the task of sharing the gospel. And so uh, last Sunday we began a three-week sermon series on this issue of evangelism, how to share your faith, how to share the gospel. And last week, if you were here, uh, we began by looking at the issue of the gospel itself. What is the gospel? And our concern there was to get the gospel right. Because if we don't know what the gospel is, or if we're fuzzy or if we have an unbiblical understanding of the gospel, then whenever I go out to share it, I'm going to be sharing the wrong thing, or I'm going to be sharing it in a bizarre way that doesn't flow naturally out of what the gospel is. So last Sunday, we really nailed down the gospel. And just by way of review, for those of you who may not have been here, uh, we first of all asked the question, what is the gospel? Do you remember that? And the conclusion we came to is the gospel is a message. It's not do-gooderism. It's not feeding the hungry or being a a good, uh, godly Christian in the workplace, even though those things are important. But the gospel is specifically a message delivered. 
It's a proclamation. It's um, a news flash. Or as the word means, gospel means good news. It's the good news that we deliver to someone. And that led us to a follow-up question last week, which was, well, if the gospel is a message, what's the message? What are the talking points of the gospel that we should bring when, when we share the gospel? And if you remember, we, we said that, generally speaking, you could summarize them under three talking points. The first one was uh, the bad news, right? Remember this? The bad news is that, well, we are all sinners, and that because we are all sinners, we are on a collision course with the judgment of God. But the second talking point is the good news. Despite the fact that I deserve judgment from God, God sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, like we've been singing about in all these songs this morning. He he was sent to redeem us. And Jesus was crucified for my sins. In other words, He took the judgment that I deserve. He was buried, and then He was raised. That was the good news. And then the third talking point of the Gospel is that, well, we need to find creative and loving ways to urge people to believe to plead with the people that we love to come and receive this gospel, to believe in it. And so that together is the gospel. And then, uh, I gave you a homework assignment last week. Do you remember that? I, I uh, challenged you to memorize four simple Bible verses that when taken together summarize the basic points of the gospel. And these are commonly known Bible verses. Uh, some, of, some people call them the Romans' road to salvation. In fact, if you look in your sermon notes, that insert in your bulletin, take that out for a second. It says, Fishing 101, Evangelism. That's the name of the sermon series, Fishing 101. And if you look on the front, there's the four verses. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and then Romans 10.9. And if you can memorize those four verses, you're going to have right in your holster, right at your fingertips, the basic summary verses of the Gospel. Uh, let me ask you a question. Did anyone this week who hadn't known those verses before, has anyone started trying to memorize them? Just raise your hand. That's pretty good. Yeah, my kids are starting to memorize them. I sat with my kids and we're going over the verses. Has anyone memorized all of them? Anyone? Is that ambitious? Oh, nice job, Larry Burley. You memorized all of them. I think that's the only hand I saw. All right, he gets a gold star. That's good. Um, here's the next question. Did anybody actually share the gospel this week with somebody. One, two, three, a couple. All right. Way to go. This is where we hit the wall, isn't it? (laughs) Actually opening our mouths to share the gospel. I'm all good on the gospel part. Yeah, I know that. I memorized that. You know, I I know I'm supposed to share the gospel. All right, I'm a fisher of men. woo and then I, I start memorizing the gospel, and I memorize these verses. Okay, I got the verses, got the three-point outline, I'm ready. Maybe if you're really ambitious, you read a book on evangelism. If you're really, really ambitious, you take a class on evangelism. I've all, got all this stuff in my head. And then you actually come to the moment when you have an opportunity to share the gospel, and it's like... Ah. <laughs> and that's when I choke. And for some reason, there's, there's this glass wall that seems to appear so many times between me and all of my gospel stuff in my head and the people that I love that I'm trying to share the gospel with. And I, I hit this glass wall, and I don't you know, know how to, to get through that. Um, and so that's what this sermon is today. It's evangelism. If last Sunday was the gospel, what is the message? Today is, how do you deliver that message? And specifically, I want to think about how to 
to actually get out there and do it? What do we need to know to effectively share that message? Because that's where a lot of us drop the ball. That's where I drop the ball many times. It, you know, what is that glass wall that keeps me from reaching through and bringing the gospel to people I love? And uh, there's probably a lot of things that hinder us from sharing the gospel. Probably many things that uh, impede our, our gospel efforts. But, but I would say probably the biggest one is um, just fear. Mostly fear. I mean, for me, anyway. And I, I think as I talk to people, we're, we're afraid. And there's a lot of things we can be afraid of, but at least two things in particular jump out. One is we're afraid of rejection. We fear what people are going to think of us if we talk to them about Jesus. I mean, I'll just be real honest. I don't want people to marginalize me because they think I'm a religious wacko. That's my gut. I don't want... I mean, everybody wants to be in. No, it's not normal to want to be on the outside. It's normal to want to be on the inside. And so we naturally shy away from things that will make people put us on the outside. You don't want to talk about sin and judgment to that cute girl in your English class because then she might not go out on a date with you. And you don't want to talk about the crucifixion, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for our sins with your boss because he's pretty hard-nosed and he's kind of you know, caustic and cynical. And if you try to broach that with him, I mean, forget promotions. It's hard enough to stay on this good side anyway, let alone go start talking about Jesus with the guy. And so because I am afraid of being marginalized and afraid of fear of rejection, which is a normal fear in human beings, I'm going to not say things that are going to make people think that I'm that, and that includes the gospel. I'm going to say, well, I don't want to push this on people. I don't want to be one of those, you know, knocking on your door, shoving literature in your face, you know, like the cults do. I want to, you know, I want to be careful with how I share the gospel. And, and that fear is so strong that I eventually don't actually share the gospel at all with anybody. I experienced it this week. I, uh, I didn't actually share the gospel, but I shared uh, a DVD with someone that had the gospel on it. Uh, some of you know we have in our church that being produced now these uh, DV- Red Sox DVDs. Uh, we have a missionary in our church who interviewed a bunch of the Christians on the Red Sox, and, and they share their faith, and then they put it on this DVD. It's really well done. And now we're starting to produce these DVDs so you can just hand it to someone. I think uh, a couple Mondays ago they, they handed out like 26,000 of them after a Red Sox game. You know, just people are coming out, hey, have a, have a DVD, and you know, it's, it's the gospel. You know, Kurt Schilling and Veritech and all these guys sharing the gospel through the DVD. And, and that's what I did. I handed it out to this guy at the gym. And I have to tell you, man, it was a struggle just handing it to him. Because, you know, I'm thinking, is this guy going to think I'm a religious nut now? I mean, whenever I walk around the gym, is he going to, you know, walk away from me and talk to the other guys? And everyone's like, don't talk to him. He's going to shove, you know, literature in your face. And I didn't even share the gospel. I shared a DVD so that he could watch TV and show a clip of other people sharing the gospel. But, you know, even then, my natural fear of, of not wanting people to marginalize me made it hard to give him that DVD. But, he, you know, he's been cool about it as far as I can tell. But, but it's a natural fear. So it's a fear of rejection. I think the other fear that impedes me from actually sharing the gospel is, uh, and it impedes a lot of people is the fear of failure. Look, if I try to share the gospel, I'm going to screw it up. I just know it. I'm going to say the wrong thing. Someone's going to ask me a question. I'm not going to know what to say. You know, and, and I'm going to flounder. I'm going to flub it up. I'm going to mix it up. You know, I mean, look, Pastor, you know, you studied theology in graduate school. And, and you study this stuff every week as you prepare for sermons. So, you know, man, you swim in this gospel theology stuff. But, you know, Pastor, I've only been a Christian for four months. 
I'm still trying to figure out like, you know, where the bathroom is in the church, <laughs> let alone the gospel. In fact, Pastor, last Sunday when you explained the gospel, that was the first time I really felt like I got it. You know, and it was solid. So now you're asking me this week to go out and be the, the guy sharing the gospel? I mean, come on. You know, that's like giving a football to the rookie on his first ever game and asking him to make the big play. It's ridiculous. You don't give it to that guy. So you're asking me to go out and share the gospel? Ah, I'm going to foul it up. And so we're afraid of, of failure as well as afraid of rejection. I'm afraid of rejection, which is what others will think of me and what others are going to say. And I'm afraid of failure, which is I'm afraid of what I'm going to say. And so the fear paralyzes us. It, it uh, freezes our gospel efforts. So when that opportunity comes, that natural opening for me to step up and talk about Jesus and talk about the gospel, I just, you know, deer in the headlights and the opportunity passes by. The Apostle Paul appears to have somehow found a way around that. Because if you look at Romans chapter 1, which is our text, the guy was itching to go to Rome and share the gospel. And he, this is like, he's burning to go to Rome. I want to share the gospel in Rome. I want to preach the gospel in Rome. And so as I read this, I'm like, huh, what was different about him than, than about me? Why was he so eager to share the gospel? And I have such a hard time so many times. In fact, I just want to read verses 11 to 15 again. And what I want you to look for as I read these verses is the different ways that Paul expresses his eagerness to preach the gospel. All right, verse 11. He says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Uh, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. He's talking about he's preaching the gospel there. He says in verse 14, I am obligated both to the Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So you hear that? Paul's like, can't wait to get to Rome. I've tried several times to come. I want to preach the gospel there, but I never got there. But I'm going to try to come this time. I can't wait to preach the gospel. And I'm just scratching my head saying, what did he have that I don't have? Was Paul just a different kind of Christian? Did, did he have some kind of just spiritual, uh, I, I don't know, is he a different spiritual species than me so that he never had fears? No, I don't think so. I, I think that Paul was afraid. First, because he was a human being. But also, you know, he says in 1 Corinthians about when he came to Corinth to preach the gospel, he said, I came to you in trembling and in much fear and in weakness. So, so I don't think Paul was this kind of spiritual titan who didn't have any normal fears like the rest of us. I mean, he, he had fears, he had weakness. When he walked before the Corinthians, he's like, boy, I know these guys like really eloquent speakers, and I'm not an eloquent speaker, so I wonder if I'm going to foul this up, I wonder if I'm going to fail. But somehow, despite his normal human fears... Paul was able to rise above that. He was able to smash through the glass wall and share the gospel and be eager to share the gospel. So what was it? What was Paul's secret? Fortunately, he tells us in verse 16. I love this verse. If I ever got a tattoo, I'd get this verse tattooed on me. Yes. <laughs> Great. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Don't you love that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. 
First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. And because Paul knew that's what he had in the gospel, that helped him to overcome whatever fears he might have about sharing the gospel because he knew it was the power of God for salvation. Two key words there. First of all, the word power. The gospel is power. It's not just another little message. It's not just another you know, idea floating out there in the ocean of ideas that sweep over us in our culture. There's so many words, so many messages around us. There's talk radio, you turn that on, and everyone's calling in, you know, la, la, la. They all have their ideas and all their opinions. And then you turn on the TV, and there's all these news stations and pundits and people sharing their opinions. And you go on the Internet, and the, everybody has a website, and everybody has views. And there's just so much white noise out there, so much background noise of messages and ideas, and so we just tune it out. But the gospel is not just another piece of white noise in the background. It comes with power. It's a powerful word. And that's how God does things, through His Word. I mean, God spoke, and this universe came into being. It had to come from somewhere, and, and God spoke it into existence. And not only did He create it, but it says in the book of Hebrews that uh, God continues to uphold the universe that He made by His Word. So the reason you know, gravity still works, and the reason electrons stay within their little shells and jump around, and the reason physics work is because God is holding it together with His Word. And God spoke His Word through Moses, and Israel came into being, and they were delivered from Egypt. And God spoke His Word through the prophets, and nations rose and nations fell. And now God is speaking His Word again through the Gospel. You and me taking this dinky little message of Jesus crucified, buried, raised. I mean, it's so small, it's so paltry, but through that tiny little wimpy message, God is bringing His power. It's, it's as if, you know, it's this little copper wire and God is sending this enormous lightning bolt of energy through this little wire. And we don't know how the wire doesn't melt, but somehow this little wire of the Gospel conducts the power of God for His purposes in the world. It's a, it's a message of power. And that's why when you share the Gospel... You've got to stay on message. Because the temptation is to go off you know, rabbit trails. And whenever you share the gospel with someone, they're always bringing up tangents. You, know, you start sharing about Jesus, and the guy's like, well, you know, um, like, what, like, what, like, what does the Bible have to say about capital punishment? Because, you know, that, that's something I'm kind of interested in. And, you know, and then what about the Crusades? I mean, th that was bad, wasn't it? And, you know, there's all these Christians who did that. And speaking of which, there's this guy who lives next door to me, and he says he's a Christian, but then when I crank up my music loud, he yells at me, and I'm like, you know, what's up with that? So, you know, <laughs> I mean, isn't that how it is? When you share the gospel, it's like, you know, people just won't listen. They go off on all these tangents. So you've got to stay on message. I mean, should I as a Christian have thought through my position on capital punishment or whatever. I mean, of course, I, I'm not saying we should be ignorant Christians. I think we should be thoughtful. We need to think through how our faith interrelates with, with life. But my point is just the, the power isn't there. That's not where you're going to find the power for salvation. It's not in a, a theological discussion of capital punishment, however valid that is and however important it is to have that discussion. So you've got to keep coming back to message. You know? You've got to say, yeah, 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 crusades were stupid. I mean, duh. I mean, we, we all know that. We all know it was a bad idea. And we all know that people always take God's truth and they take good things and they manipulate them for their own evil purposes. Because we're all sinners. Which is my point. That we're all sinners. And we're headed for the judgment of God. And, you know, and therefore you need Jesus. You know, so you've got to come back to the message. 
Because the power is in the gospel. And so we've got to stay on the gospel. But it's power for what? Here's the other key word. The first key word is power. It's the power of God for salvation. For salvation. In other words, it's the power for the single most important thing there is. Salvation. It's not the power to lose weight. It's not the power to get a date. And it's not the power to get a good deal on a car. It's the power for salvation. It's the power for me to have salvation from my sins, from the judgment for my sins, salvation from hell, forgiveness of my sins, a fresh relationship with God, a new start with God. That's the power. It's the greatest thing there is anywhere in the universe is God's salvation in Jesus. And it comes through that tiny little copper conduit called the gospel. It's power for salvation. You know, it's, the gospel is like, a, it's like an engagement ring. You know, think about an engagement ring. It's this puny little thing. You know, you, you go to the, the store and they have them all shiny and you shell out whatever, 12, 15 grand, that's what they cost for a big one nowadays, I guess. And you, um, not that I've been looking, but, uh, you know, I'm happily married. So, uh, the, uh, you know, there's this little ring and you get it and you're like, I can't believe I paid all that money for this. I mean, it's just a little piece of metal in a circle. Not that much metal. And then there's a rock on it. I mean, it's a beautiful rock, the diamond, but it's just a rock. And they found it in the dirt, and then they polished it up, and that's what I paid all that money for. It's such a, a tiny little puny thing. You could throw it in a sewer grate and never see it again. You could flush it down the toilet you never see it again. It's just a puny thing. You could drop it in a movie theater and never see it again. But that little rock on that little ring is power. Because when a man kneels before a woman and puts the ring on her finger and says, will you marry me? I mean, it's like, to the woman, it's like, whoa. And, you know, this is a powerful moment. And if she says yes, it changes their life forever. It's amazing. The gospel is that ring through which Jesus is betrothing sinners to himself all the time. It's a dinky little message. Jesus crucified, buried, raised. Okay, that's it. Yeah, that's it. But that message has power for salvation to change our lives, both now and for eternity. And I think because Paul understood the significance of the gospel, that it was the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, he was able to overcome whatever normal human fears he had. Because it's the gospel. It's, it's power. It's salvation. Of course I want to share this gospel. And Paul shared it. He shared it eagerly. In fact, Paul was imprisoned for the gospel. He was beaten for the gospel, almost within an inch of his life on a couple of occasions. He was whipped for the gospel. He, he was lonely and hungry and thirsty and shipwrecked for the gospel. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit, people, to come into our hearts and, and give us a fresh vision of the glory of the gospel. I need that. I, I need Jesus to show me through his Holy Spirit again how serious eternal judgment is, how wonderful heaven is, how glorious the gift of the Savior is. I need an angel to pick me up and carry me to the very edge of hell so I can feel its heat and I can see the danger of hell so that I might be moved again to realize the preciousness of the gospel message. So many things in my eyes are big and important and precious and they're all going to burn. The one thing that's precious is the gospel compared to everything else. And when I start to realize the gospel is the power of God for salvation, 
that will help me overcome, break through, bypass my normal human fears of rejection and failure. First of all, to help us with the fear of rejection. Because, you know, if salvation is at stake, what do I care about people rejecting me? You know, when it's that big, it really doesn't matter what people think of me. You know, it's kind of like this. Imagine if you were driving to church one Sunday and, and you were really late, which for a lot of us is not that hard to imagine. And um, <laughs> you're coming to church and, and you're listening to the radio and you're pulling into the parking lot and you're trying to find a space, whatever, because you came late. And, and just as you're about to pull in and turn off your radio, that you know, emergency broadcast system you know, thing comes on. But instead of saying, this is a test, they don't say that. The guy says, you know, the voice comes on and says, this is not a test, this is real. And, and he says, an earthquake just occurred in the Atlantic Ocean, and we found out that a, a large tsunami is moving at high speed toward the eastern seaboard, and it's going to impact Boston and New York and maybe Maine. And, and so, as quickly as possible, get to high ground, move west, you know, drive west, whatever you can do to get away from the seashore. And, uh, and we estimate I'll be here within an hour, an hour and a half. And so you're sitting there in the parking lot, like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And do, do I just get in my car and start heading west? Or, like, look, there's this whole church full of people, and there's babies in the nursery. And you go, I'm going to tell them before I go. So you, so you run up to the sanctuary, you run into the foyer, and there's Jeremy. He started his sermon, his, you know, and everything's, <laughs> the arms are waving around, and people are, you know, listening. You're like, what do I do? Do I just burst into the sanctuary and tell everybody, oh, you know, the tsunami's coming, the tsunami's coming. You know, of course that's what you do. You, you don't stand there and think, you know, well, I mean, they, they might think I'm a little, you know, weird, and pe- people might not, you know, appreciate me interrupting the sermon. You know, you don't worry about that. You just run in. Ah! <laughs> There's a tsunami coming. I just heard it on the radio. Everyone, get up on top of the church. Let's drive west. You'll get the babies out of the nursery. Of course that's what you do. There has to be an urgency to the gospel. Like Lot, when the angels told him that Sodom and Gomorrah was about to fry, he went around to his son-in-laws. we got to leave. God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Come on, come on, come on, come on. And they're like, eh, whatever. But, but you don't care. You don't care what people think. It's like, this is huge. And so there needs to be an urgency to our sharing of the gospel. Any of you people work in Boston? You've seen these guys around Boston? I've seen them a couple times. Sandwich boards, big pictures of fire on the front, and it says, like, repent, believe in Jesus, you know, hell. And this is really scary. You know, these guys walk around, they're holding Bible tracts, and they got these big believe in Jesus with flames. It's scary, you know. I don't know if there's devils or what, but it's just this really horrific-looking thing about repent, believe in Jesus, or you'll burn in hell kind of a message. And, you know, whenever I've seen those guys around Boston, there's a part of me that's like, oh, brother. You know, these are the guys that make everyone think Christians are wackos, right? You know, the people see them, and they just roll their eyes, and, you know, oh, i, I got to tell someone I'm not like that guy, you know, and all this stuff. But, you know, then there's another part of me that's like, maybe if I were to go stand on the edge of hell for ten minutes and see what's coming, maybe I would be wearing a sandwich board too. Because there is a tsunami coming. It's called the judgment of God. Maybe he's taking it more seriously than I am. I'm not saying to you that to be an effective evangelist, we all have to go out and buy bullhorns and station ourselves at every grocery store on the South Shore and just scream at people with the bullhorns until the police take us away. I'm not saying that's what you have to do to be an evangelist. But, but I guess what I'm saying is when that natural opportunity comes in a conversation to talk about Jesus, that maybe if I took more seriously 
the salvation issues, the eternal destiny at hand, I would walk through the opportunity and share the gospel instead of worrying about what people are going to think of me if I really felt the seriousness of the gospel. And so I think that realizing that the gospel is the power of God for salvation should help me to overcome my normal fears of rejection. I also think it can help us overcome our normal fears of failure. Again, we wring our hands, we say, I'm going to say the wrong thing, I'm going to foul this up, oh, they're going to ask questions, I'm not going to be able to answer them, I'm going to look like I'm incompetent, I'm going to stumble over my words, I'm not that articulate, I'm an introvert, you know, whatever. And we just think we're going to fail at sharing the gospel. But what does the verse say again? For the gospel is the power of God for salvation. What's the power? The gospel. Not... Jeremy, not you. You're not the power. The power is in the message, not in me. And I think sometimes we feel like we have to have a shtick or a, or a script or something to say. And those things are helpful. There's evangelism training things that can teach you a script. And it's good because it helps you organize the gospel. I mean, I gave you a, a script a little bit, you know, with this thing. This is a script. But, but the point isn't getting all the words of the script right. The point is the gospel. The gospel is the power. And so the key to effective evangelism is opening my mouth and getting the gospel out there. Not me persuading people, because as we're going to see next week, you can't convert anybody. Nor can I. It's the gospel that does the converting. I uh, read this, this cool story, this uh, book. It's a book on how to do evangelism, and he teaches you a shtick, and it's a, it's a nice little shtick. But it's uh, called Share Jesus Without Fear by William Fay. If you want a good book on evangelism, this is a good one. And uh, there's a lot of good ones out there. And they're all good because they all share the gospel. And the gospel is the power. But anyway, uh, Fay tells, he's an evangelist. And William Fay tells a story. By the time he was sharing the gospel with a woman. And, and uh, he gave her Romans chapter 3, verse 23. That first verse in the Romans road. And he said, hey, read this. So she read it. And he said, what does it say? And she said, I don't believe in that. And he said, no, no, read it. So she read it again. And he said, what does it say? I'm just asking you what it says. And she says, well, I don't believe in sin. He says, read it. <laughs> because I'm not asking you what you think. I'm just saying, what does it say? Can you even answer the question? She says, well, it says that everyone's a sinner. Right? He's like, yeah, that's what it says. And he said, does that include you, according to this? She was like, yeah. And then he went on to share the gospel. And by the end, she was weeping because she realized that Jesus could forgive her and Christ came into her life and forgave her sins and, and she was transformed by the gospel. Because the gospel is the power. You know, at any point in there, William Fay could have been tempted to jump in and do a, a theological Greco-Roman wrestling match. Like, you know, well, I don't believe in sin. Oh yeah, well, how come you don't believe in sin? Let me give you five reasons for the existence of sin. Instead, you know, he took this kind of minimalist approach and just said, read it. Tell me what the gospel says and let the gospel do its thing. Because effective evangelism is about sharing the gospel, not about converting people. And I think this is why we sometimes fear failure, because we have a, an erroneous definition of evangelism. Evangelism is not winning people to Jesus. That's God's business. Evangelism is sharing the message faithfully. Got that? Evangelism is casting the seed God's business is making the seed sprout. Evangelism is just applying the medicine. 
God's business is healing the soul. Uh, evangelism is just sprinkling the yeast onto the dough. God's business is making the dough rise. And so effective evangelism is just telling that simple message. That, that's it. And if you do that, you have been a successful evangelist because the rest is up to God, as, as we're going to see next week. Because it takes a supernatural power to convert somebody, which we simply lack. In fact, there's only, only one way to fail at evangelism. It's to keep your mouth shut. The only way to fail at evangelism on a consistent basis is just don't say anything. But if you will open your mouth, and if I will open my mouth, and just share what we know about the gospel in a simple, humble way, and stay on the message, and then just step back and you know, let the gospel do, do its thing. In this book, uh, Share Jesus Without Fear, uh, William Fay also tells his testimony. Uh, William Fay wasn't always an evangelist. Uh, he used to be far, far, far from Christianity. He was uh, a very powerful man before he became a Christian. He was a CEO of a multi-million dollar international corporation, and he lived large. He had the chauffeured limousine, the gold Rolex. He was on his fourth wife. Uh, he, was also, he was also dirty. He, had, uh, he says he had ties to the mob. He was into gambling and racketeering, and he owned one of the largest uh, brothels in America. So he's just, you know, a, a dirty guy. And, uh, and on top of it all, he was a wicked good racquetball player. He had all kinds of racquetball championships and trophies. So, you know, he's just an arrogant prig. You know, that kind of guy just thinks he's the best. And, and so one, son, one day he comes to the racquetball court to play, and there's a guy in the court, and, uh, and it happened to be Yom Kippur, of all things. And he sees the guy in the court, and the guy looks Jewish. So this guy just you know, opens the door, William Fay says, Hey, what are you doing here? You're a Jew. This is Yom Kippur. You shouldn't be here. And just, just so arrogant, so brazen. And, and the man whose name was uh, Paul Grant, Paul Grant said to him, Well, actually, he said, I'm also a Christian, and Jesus died for my sins on the cross. You know, Yom Kippur is when, when Jews ask God to forgive their sins, but Jesus has forgiven my sins, so, so I don't have to observe Yom Kippur. And, you know, William Fay, Oh, that's a load of garbage, you know, and... And, and so for the next year and a half, William Fay made it his hobby to whenever he saw Paul Grant in the locker room at the racquetball court, he would just hit him with questions, belittle him, mock him. No matter what he said, he just you know, riddled him with insults, putting him down. And, and so they got to know each other in that kind of an atmosphere. <laughs> well, about a year and a half after that started, something really bad, actually good, but bad happened from William Fay's perspective. His, his brothel got raided and shut down. And so his life was suddenly like a bee's hive. You know, people calling, authorities after him, lawyers, you know, men wanting to know, did, did they get a hold of the records? Did they know I visited? You know, people just calling him and all these people calling him. And then he gets this one phone call one night and it's from uh, Paul Grant. And all Paul Grant calls is he says, hey, hey, I was just calling to ask you, are, are you okay? And, you know, that really touched him because he was like, Nobody's asking me if I'm... No one's cared whether or not I'm okay. And, and somehow God used that little question to really touch William Fay's life. And, and Paul said, why don't you come to church with me Sunday? And so he did. And, and eventually, through a longer process, uh, William Fay eventually came to know the Lord, became a Christian, and now is an evangelist, teaching other people how to share their faith. It's a wonderful story of the power of God's salvation, that that simple gospel in God's time, not in our time, but in God's time, can change a life. But you know, I think there's another interesting way to look at that same story. You can also look at it from the perspective of Paul Grant. And you can say, I wonder how he felt for that year and a half when he was sharing the gospel. I wonder if he felt successful. 
I bet he went home and told his wife, oh, I saw that guy at the gym again today. I wish he'd just leave me alone. And, you know, I, I, tr I tried this. I thought this was going to do the trick, and I said this thing, or I used that argument, and it didn't work. And, you know, oh, I'm, I'm such a failure. I mean, I, I don't know if he said that, but I'd be tempted to say things like that. I'd be tempted just be, to give up and be like, you know, Will, if you talk to me again, Will, you know, I'm going to punch you. You know, I'd be, I'd be angry. <laughs> I'd be sick of somebody like that. But, but instead, he just patiently, lovingly shared the gospel for a year and a half and took all that abuse and maybe saw himself as a failure, certainly was rejected. But I'm telling you, Paul Grant was an effective evangelist. He was successful. Why? Because William Fay eventually became a Christian? No. Because he faithfully delivered the message and left the rest up to God. And that's all you and I have to do, is deliver the message. Because it's the gospel that's the power of God for salvation, for everyone who believes. Let's pray. Jesus, like the early church in Acts chapter 5, we pray that you would give us renewed boldness to share the gospel. Lord, we know that Satan will use whatever trick he can just to keep our mouths shut. Fear, distraction, diversions, procrastination, whatever he needs to do to keep our mouths shut is all. Because he knows, Lord, that, that once the gospel is out, then it, there's no bringing it back. It is going to do its work. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful in delivering the message. Thank you, Lord, there's no pressure on us, that it's not up to us to win anybody. It's just up to us to lovingly and boldly share that message. And, Lord, I pray that that message would work in people's hearts. And, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's never known Jesus, that as, as we've talked about the gospel, that you would, you would speak to them, Jesus, that they would see what a wonderful Savior you are, that they would hear your voice speaking to their hearts, Jesus, that they might turn to you and be saved. And so, Christ, I, I pray, make us effective evangelists. Thank you, Lord, for the people who shared their faith this week. Thank you for those who spoke up and shared the gospel. Lord, I pray that that gospel message will now run in the lives of the hearers and that people will be granted saving faith. Lord, make us an evangelizing community. Help us to be bold. Then the Lord will leave the rest to you. We ask all this in Jesus' name.